0: Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. We're not. We're not talking about the end times. We're just going to do a study in Revelation for the rest of the service. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start there today. By the way, your kids are well taken care of. When you get them back, they're going to be full of candy and excited to see you, so you're welcome for that. Uh, There's tons of Easter eggs outside and lots of candy and blow-ups for your kids to jump around in, so I know they're having a great time while you are in here listening to the Word of God, so they're having a great time today. So um, if, if you don't respond a lot today, I might have to give you guys some candy, but I feel like you're going to do good, so... Revelation 1, in verse 17, and this is Jesus, he's uh, appearing to the Apostle John, and knows what it says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, and this is Jesus speaking, I am the first and the last, and I am he that liveth, now I pulled out a King James version verse for <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, I'm going off the grid today. I am he that liveth, you know, sometimes the King James just sounds right, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Now, if you're Jesus, you go ahead and just amen yourself. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Notice that Jesus said, I am he that was dead, but I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. This morning, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is called The Resurrection Changes Everything. The Resurrection Changes Everything. On Sunday mornings, we've been talking about for the past three weeks about who is the real Jesus. Will the real Jesus please stand up? And we know that the real Jesus, we see that the real Jesus, most of us have been taught either the religious Jesus, or we've been taught the secular Jesus, which are both wrong. The religious Jesus, a lot of us grew up with a religious Jesus, and others have been taught the secular Jesus, but the real Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. And we know that from our series, and I just want to say a little recap before we go into the resurrection today, that Jesus is God. He is all God, and he is all man. He is the God-man, and as well why as he is the only person qualified to meet our needs and take care of our sins because he is fully God and fully man. And last week we talked specifically about what happened on the cross. We talked specifically about what Jesus did on the cross, what he went through when he was whipped and beaten and bloodied, what he went through when the crown of thorns was on his head, what he went through when he died on the cross The reason for that and and what happened. And last week we called that message death by love. And what happened on the Thursday and the Friday of Jesus last week of his life, really. We talked about that because Jesus came to do much more than just to get us to heaven. That's great. If that's all that happened, that would be wonderful. (laughs) We'd all be thankful for that. But Jesus died to get heaven in us. Jesus died to not just save us from our sins, but to give us a new life. And he died not just to make our spirit right with God, but he died to heal our mind and to heal our body. Jesus did all of that for us. And we need to preach the full gospel and the full redemption and not just give a portion of what he did, but all of what he did. But see, last week I left y'all hanging. Didn't mean to, but I left y'all on Friday. And this story's a sequel. (laughs) I left you with Jesus dying. Now, you were excited about that, but the story gets better. And and you got to understand this because, now, I'm not like this. I finish movies whether they're bad or good. But some of y'all turn the movie off halfway through. And you know what happens, and I, I've I've seen this happen many times, especially I've I've been to movies with other people that paid to go to the movie. We're not just talking about watching something on your TV they can turn off. You paid to go to this movie, and you know how much the movies cost, $50 at least. $20 for the snacks, 30 for the tickets. It's way overpriced. You done paid $50 for this movie, and you walk out halfway through, and then later on they were like, what, well, did you see this part? Well, no, I didn't see that part. Well, what, what, you, you didn't see that part. You left the movie and you left the story before the good part. You walked out of the story before the best part of the movie. And that's what so many people do in the story of Jesus. They keep him on the cross, but he is not on the cross anymore. He did that once and for all, and he's not going back to do it anymore. But I even left y'all hanging last week. Because the story wasn't over. I left you at Friday, but we need to talk about what happened on Saturday and Sunday. And that's what I want to focus on today. Because the best part is still yet to come in the story. Don't leave the movie early. You know, I went to a movie um, this past week with Natalie. And uh, I went to saw uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. I loved it. Shout out. If you want to go see a good movie, I liked it. I got a little teary. I'm going to see it with my daughter. There's a little father-daughter connection in the movie. I was teary. I was sniffling. She was laughing. She thought it was funny. Um, I'm an emotional type of person. But I liked the movie. And I love the story in the movie. Now, I don't want to get any emails about that. You know, there's some new age stuff in it, Pastor. It's okay. Listen, all Disney movies are new age. We all still watch them. It's all right. It's okay. It was a good story. It was a good movie. And I was thinking, why do we like stories like that? Because in all great stories have all the same themes. Stay with me. In all great stories, whether that's a book we read or a movie we watch, there's a reason we like that story. Because in that story is all these different themes that are God themes. So just like when I went to see that movie this weekend with Natalie, I noticed in that story is all these themes. And these are biblical words, but I want to break it down like this. There's always these themes in God's story. There's creation. There's the fall. Then there's redemption, resurrection, and then restoration. Why does every Disney movie work? Because there's the creation, everything's going right. Then there's the fall, something bad happens. Then there's redemption, somebody has to come redeem things and make it right. Then there's the resurrection, the good guy comes back to life. And then lastly, there's restoration of what was lost. There's a reason that the Disney movies, the Star Wars movies, the Marvel movies work because in their story is God's story. That's why we like it. Now... Who came up with that theme that it happens to be in every great book, in every great movie, in every great piece of music you listen to that you like is the story of the creation, the fall, redemption, resurrection, and restoration. It's because all stories are part of God's story. And the reason we like it is because our heart knows that's the way it should be. We love the story of God, even if we're unconscious that it's happening in a book we read or a movie we see. That's the story of God. That's why it works, because it was God's idea before any creative person ever made a film or a book or a piece of music. God's creation, fall, redemption, resurrection, restoration was in every story. We see that the resurrection is even in the natural world. It's in the fabric of our world with the seasons. The seasons follow the same pattern. The fall, the winter, the spring, and the summer. Even all of creation in the fabric of creation is creation, fall, redemption, resurrection, and restoration. It's in the fabric of us as human beings. We know that there's something more than what we're living for. We know that there's something bigger than what we're living for. We all know that things used to be right. They got broken. We're living in a broken, fallen world. We need to fix it. Most people go about it the wrong way to try to fix it. Like, okay, well, we need more education. That'll fix it. Nope, not fixing it. Let's get more government. Nope, not fixing it. Uh, Let's get get more sex. Nope, not fixing it. Let's get more alcohol. No, not fixing it. Let's get more money. Nope, not fixing it. But we know that there's brokenness and we know that there needs to be redemption in a resurrection. I love this. Tim Keller said this. The resurrection is not the end of the story. It is the beginning of all things being restored. 2,000 years ago when the resurrection of Jesus happened, it wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning of God restoring all things to himself. And God is still restoring all things to himself. And we know one day it will ultimately happen that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And God will fully restore all things to himself. But it started at the resurrection. And the resurrection was not the ending. It was the beginning of God restoring all things unto himself. And that's the power of the resurrection. Because the resurrection changes everything. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to hang out and hear most of the rest of this service. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read it in verse 3. Now this is Apostle Paul speaking to this church at Corinth about the resurrection. Knows what he says. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Now well, let's stop there. So, the apostle Paul, now we're going to really get into this verse today, is talking to a church at Corinth, which Corinth was a Greek city, where there was a church. He wrote two letters to the Corinthian people, and he's dealing specifically in chapter 15 about the resurrection of Jesus. Now he's writing to this city, who is a Greek city, and the Greek people did not believe that the resurrection of the dead was even possible. The Greek people were intellectual people, they were philosophers. And you understand that still today, our Western world is influenced by Greek thinking and Greek philosophy. We still think in those days, in those ways, in those terms, because they were a very intellectual, heady people. And so they would think, Resurrection of the dead is not possible. Why? Because they're only in their brain. And this is intellectually impossible for that to happen. But that way of thinking was getting into the church. And the Apostle Paul had to bring some correction to the church and say, no, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then you don't believe that Jesus resurrected. And if he did not resurrect, then our faith is worthless and useless and pointless because all of our faith hinges on the fact that Jesus got up out of the grave. Because if he didn't get out of the grave, then that means that he did not fully pay the price for our sins. If he did not get out of the grave, then that means he was a liar. If he did not get out of the grave, that means that our faith is in nothing but lies and false hope. So if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you need to. Because if you don't believe that, then our faith is futile. And so he was talking to this Corinthian church and telling them, no, I'm going to explain to you about the resurrection. You need to know not just what you believe, but why you believe it, because this kind of mentality is creeping in the church. But we Western people still think this way. We're so intellectual, we think that this could never happen. Even people in the church world who have gotten more secular and liberal in their thinking think that Jesus was just a good man. And a good teacher, but he wasn't really God because he didn't rise from the dead. But our whole faith hinges on the resurrection. If that didn't happen, we shouldn't be here this morning. Let's go home and do something different with our life because if he did not rise from the dead, we are believing in lies today. But the truth is, he did. But I want to bring this to your attention as we kind of get into this. Notice what he said for these two verses here. He said that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, if you've been here on Sunday mornings, you realize that all the Old Testament speaks about Jesus. There's hundreds and hundreds of prophecies prophesying what Jesus would do before he did it. And he's saying, guys, don't don't think this is strange or we just made this up. The Old Testament talked about this hundreds of times, that Jesus would die on the cross. But more importantly, it says that Jesus would rise from the dead after three days. According to the scriptures. And he fulfilled every scripture that was prophesied about him. Now let's take it a step further. So 1 Corinthians 15 and maybe put up verse 5 here. He's going to get into this, and this is very important. He's going to get into not just what the scriptures say, because that should be important for us. That should mean something to us. But also he's going to say, I'll take you one step further. If you don't believe the scriptures, I'll start naming names of people that talk to him. I'll give you a list of names you can still go talk to. They ate lunch with him after he resurrected. Now, you only need one person to send somebody to jail for the rest of their life by being a witness. Jesus had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, one time 500 people, that saw him physically after he resurrected to witness that it really happened. Okay, but before we get into this, I'm going to read you one more passage. Acts 1 and verse 1 for you guys follow me today so far So we're talking about the resurrection changes everything So Jesus resurrected from the dead after three days according to the scriptures but more importantly he was witnessed by real people that saw him and touched him and talked to him and ate with him after it happened. Acts 1 in verse 1 now just to let you kind of know what we're talking about here in Acts, This book was written by Luke. Luke was the beloved physician, the Bible says. He was a doctor. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And many people think that this man, Theophilus, was the man who paid Luke to do it to give an account of what happened in the life of Jesus. And so Luke, being a very thorough person, You know, you have to be a thorough person to be a doctor. You have to be a thinking person to be a doctor. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke about Jesus, also wrote the book of Acts. And this is what he's going to give a report to this wealthy man, Theophilus. Notice, in the former account which I prepared, that's the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I made a continuous report dealing with all the things which Jesus began to do and to teach. Verse 2. Until the day when he ascended after through the Holy Spirit had instructed and commanded the apostles, special messengers, whom he had chosen. Stay with me. Verse 3. Now, this is a doctor saying this. To them also he showed himself alive. Now, I think if anyone's qualified... To tell whether somebody was dead or is alive would be a doctor. And Dr. Luke said, I've talked to these people. And this is what happened. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering in the garden and on the cross, by a series of many convincing demonstrations unquestionable evidences and infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. Verse 4, And while being in their company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, You have heard me speak. I love that. So Dr. Luke says, Listen, Theophilus, I know somebody's dead, and I know when somebody's alive, I'm a doctor. And Jesus was dead, and he's alive now by many proofs, by unquestionable proof and evidence. I've talked to the people. I've I've, uh, ate with these people. I've had fellowship with these people, and he showed himself alive. After his passion. For 40 days he did this. He met with people. He talked to people. He met with his disciples. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He talked to them about the coming Holy Spirit. Jesus did that for 40 days before he ascended to heaven. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Because now he's going to name specific people Jesus talked to. 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's verse 5. You guys still here today? I love the names that he lists because it's important for us to know. He's not just pulling names out of a hat. 1 Corinthians 15. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the 12. Let's stop with this one. He was seen by Peter and then the 12. Peter is the same guy who denied Even knowing Jesus to a middle school girl around a campfire. Because he was so afraid of his life. But then, after his death and resurrection of Jesus, he turned into a different man and became super bold that preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost of the early church and preached to thousands of people. He wasn't afraid anymore to speak up. He wasn't afraid anymore to die. He wasn't afraid anymore, and he had supernatural boldness. What changed Peter from denying Jesus to believing in Jesus and preaching Jesus and ultimately preaching to thousands and thousands of people and being the first leader of the early church? The resurrection changed him, Because when Jesus was on the cross, he was still wondering, is this true? We always get down on Peter and the other disciples. We only know that because we know the whole story. The disciples were still trying to figure it out. But the proof that it was true was the resurrection. And Peter was specifically met by Jesus after his resurrection. Because he loved him so much. Jesus loved Peter so much, he chased him down when he went back to his old lifestyle fishing. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. That means go be a leader in my church. And that encounter with a resurrected Savior changed him forever. He stopped being meek and mild and timid and fearful of his life and became bold. What else reason would he do that for? When he knew that he could die for being bold about Jesus. Because he knew it was true. Because the resurrected Jesus had talked to him personally. And notice it says he went to the other 12. We know that Thomas, doubting Thomas, was one of those people. He didn't believe either. We get down on the disciples, but you weren't there. We would all be freaking out for those three days. Was it true? Was it not true? Because if it's not true, we're all going to die here. They crucified him. They're looking for us next. But Jesus went and he found not just Peter, but the rest of the disciples. And he met with them, it says, in the upper room. And he showed them, no, it's really me. In a physical body. This is not just a dream or a vision or you're on drugs. You didn't eat too much pizza last night, Thomas. It's really me in the flesh. And he said, look, I'll show you the, hand, the, the, the holes in my hands and the scars in my feet and the scars on my back because I'm the same Jesus that you saw three days ago get beat. I'm the same Jesus that had the crown of thorns on his head. I'm the same Jesus that was on that cross, and I will show you physically in my body it was me. And, of course, we know Thomas, and not just Thomas, but the rest of the disciples went out from that upper room and changed the known world. And all those disciples of Jesus, all those 12 disciples, went out and became missionaries to every part of the known world and all died a martyr's death because of the resurrection, because they would not deny Jesus. If it didn't happen... Just deny it and get out of death. But it did happen. And all those disciples were changed. You guys still here today? I love it. The Apostle Paul, he's going to give you some more names. Let's go to verse 6. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So, notice this was written in the time frame that most of the 500 that he appeared to at one time, he's saying, You can go find these people. Go talk to them. Corinthian church, if if you, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. They saw Jesus, they touched Jesus, they ate with Jesus. It was real the 40 days after he died, he was resurrected. So we see the 500 saw Jesus. Could I get the next verse, please? Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. I love this one because this is really interesting. Not only is Paul proving his point to the Corinthian church by saying it's according to the scriptures, but here's a list of some eyewitnesses, and this is not even all of them. But I'm going to tell you, you can go check this out. That Jesus was resurrected and our faith is true in him. That it really happened. But he says he also appeared to James and the rest of the apostles. That's important too. Because James was the half-brother of Jesus. James and the rest of Jesus' family. How many know they had question marks about Jesus when he was still on the earth, you guys act like I wouldn't listen let me give you an example here. I love my my, my sweet sister here, Jessica Lee Boger. you know what and she was she was Miss Agape at Bible College. now she's Miss Agape, but I never believed she was God and so you could you could understand that Mary. And the rest of Jesus' half-brothers and half-sisters could have a few question marks about Jesus. Jesus is the crazy one in the family. (laughs) Because Jesus is walking around healing people, delivering people, saying he's God, saying he knows the Father, saying all this. You could say at the time, Jesus seemed a little crazy. So they didn't fully believe at the time. They, 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 They were wishful and hopeful that what Jesus was saying was true. But what proved to them that what Jesus said was true was really true? What proved to his mother and his brothers and sisters that he was truly God and truly Lord and he truly needs to be worshipped was he was resurrected. So they went from doubting Jesus and not fully believing to saying, okay, I believe him now because he rose from the dead. He truly is God. And James... Being the half-brother of Jesus, he appeared to, went on and became a leader in the church, and he preached Jesus. He preached about his brother. Would you ever preach or teach about your brother unless you knew for a fact that they were really God and it was really true? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't even believe your brother or sister. You say, no, if anyone's God in this family, it's not you, it's me. If anyone deserves to be worshiped and honored, it's definitely not you. But then Mary, the mother of Jesus, became one of the biggest missionaries for the gospel of Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, was the half brother of Jesus and became one of the biggest preachers of the gospel. They were his brother. The only reason they believed and knew it was true is because Jesus resurrected from the dead and proved himself to be who he said he was, and he is God. Now that matters because their life change matters and shows us that it was true. So we see that Jesus met with Peter. He met with the rest of the disciples. He met with over 500 at a time and preached to them. He met with James, his brother, and the rest of the apostles and his family. It's interesting to note as well, at the tomb, the first people to see Jesus was Mary. And other women there, they were the first people to preach even the gospel. He showed himself to be alive. You guys still here today? So we see the resurrection changes everything, and it changed everything for these people who encountered the risen Savior, that he was real. He wasn't just a figment of their imagination. He wasn't just a vision or a dream. He wasn't just extra pizza they ate too late at night. He was real in a physical resurrected body that they could touch, that they could see, that they could recognize, that they could see the scars in his hands, that they could go eat a fish taco. Thank you brother Joe. At the beach with Jesus it says he ate fish. After he was resurrected. So this is not a fake spiritual body. It's a real body that you can eat food with. Jesus ate some dark seafood after he rose from the dead. And good Lord, you know he had to put some of that tartar sauce on it as well. I'm talking to the real southern Indiana people right now. You dignified folk, you don't know what I'm talking about. But those who love Doc seafood in here understand what I'm saying. Jesus put a fish taco on his upper lip, under the words of Brother Joe, after he resurrected. If he was just a spirit, if he was just a vision, He couldn't eat that physical food in his body, but he did. Kelly, let's take it a step further. So what verse are we on? Let's do verse 7. Let's start there. But he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. The next verse. And last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Talking about Paul. Now this is important because Paul, before He met and saw the resurrected Jesus was a Christian terrorist. He was killing Christians. He did not like Jesus. He did not like Christians. He was trying to destroy the church. So why would he completely change everything he believed in suddenly and be the biggest proponent for Jesus in building his church and the biggest preacher of the gospel because he saw the risen savior. And the apostle Paul was turned into a new person. And you need to understand this. We don't we we read the Bible in a, a cleaned up American version of it. It's not it's not really like that. But the Apostle Paul, at the time he lived, was no different than the terrorists that blow up buildings. No different. He was doing that to Christians. And Jesus got a hold of his life, and he saw the risen Savior, and it changed his life. That's important. So the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything because the scriptures say it, but it changes people that encountered the risen Savior. That we know that our gospel and our faith is not based on something that's phony. Not a bunch of lies made up by people who are just trying to start a new religion. No, there are witnesses to this. There's Peter, there's James, there's the disciples, there's the women at the tomb, there's the 500, there's all these people, and we see their lives dramatically changed only because they saw the resurrection of Jesus. They saw him in a physical body, and that changed what they believed. They went from being a doubter to being a person of faith. They went from somebody denying to preaching the message of Jesus boldly. When they were scared before, they completely changed their life around just because an encounter with the risen Savior. And the resurrection proves that what Jesus said is true. And who Jesus is is true. And that he really is God because no one else could resurrect but God. I love this. This is a little side note if you read the Gospels. There was so much power that happened when Jesus resurrected. It says that there's other people in Jerusalem that started getting up out of the grave. Man, it was like a Michael Jackson thriller movie. On the day Jesus got up. Goodness gracious. I I can't even do a move like that. But there was so much power. That brought Jesus out of the grave. So so I want to talk to you about a few more things and we'll close this morning. But on Friday night, Jesus was buried. He was buried in a tomb. A tomb that was sealed off with Roman soldiers around it. That no one could get in. That no one could steal. And it took several Roman soldiers to even move it to shut the door. Now, they did that on purpose because they thought the followers of Jesus are going to go steal his body. And they're going to start a revolution. But they didn't have to steal anybody Because what Jesus said was true. So, so we see here, this is what happened on Saturday the Sunday. Sometimes they call... Now I'm about to preach, I'm feeling I'm feeling good the rest of the service. I had to talk to you about the intellectual side of it. Now I'm going to my, to my heart the rest of the time. That Jesus, what happened on this Saturday? Well, we see that Friday night, his uh body was in the tomb. And Saturday, some people call it silent Saturday. You know why? Because nobody knew what was going to happen. No one knew what was going to happen. All hope was lost. All his disciples were hiding. They were hiding. Because they didn't know if it would be true, and they were thinking, the Roman government's going to kill us too. It was called Silent Saturday. It was silent because they didn't know if what Jesus said was true was really true. Silent Saturday. The truth is that right now, a lot of us live in that place. It's not Friday anymore, but it's not Sunday either. We live in Silent Saturday. Silent Saturday is when you get a bad doctor's report and you don't know what to do. Silent Saturday is when your kids are lost and broken and they're backslidden and they're denying God and it feels like God is silent. Silent Saturday is when things at work do not work out and you get laid off during the pandemic. Silent Saturday is those times and seasons that we feel like we can't hear God, we can't feel God, we don't know if God is there. I once believed, but now I don't know. Silent Saturday happens to all of us. But we need to understand, just because he's silent does not mean he's not working behind the scenes. Just because we don't see him at the moment does not mean he's not still alive. Just because we don't feel his presence doesn't mean his presence isn't there. It's silent Saturday. And what does Saturday teach us? That we have to trust Him on Saturday if resurrection is going to happen on Sunday. We have to trust Him on Saturday. And that's hard. That's tough. But if you don't trust Him on Saturday, you don't get the resurrection on Sunday. But where did he go? Where did Jesus go? Well, his body was in a tomb for three days. We know that. But we know that he wasn't just a body. He has a spirit and a soul. Now, where did Jesus' spirit and soul go during those three days? Well, he didn't go to heaven. Because he had to pay the price for our sins. And Jesus went to hell. For three days, for us, his spirit and soul went to hell for us. You're saying, well, that's sacrilegious. No, it's not. Either you had to go to hell or he had to go to hell. You choose. And he chose for you and went for you. So you don't have to. No, the Bible says he went to hell. For you, for three days, to pay the full price for your sin, for your shame, for your guilt. He had to do that for three days for us. So his spirit and his soul were being tormented for three days straight in hell for you. While his body lay lifeless in an empty grave, with the door closed, Jesus was in hell. Now, how do I know that? I know that because of the scriptures, but I also know that because in Revelations 1, in verse 18, it says that he has the keys to hell and death. Now, how's he going to get the keys to hell and death unless he went to hell and death and got it for you? Where did he pick those up? On Amazon? Did he get it delivered? Amazon Prime delivered it to his house? Did he go to Myers and pick it up? No. He had to go there to get them. Now let's just read it again because I think it's worth reading. Revelations 1 and verse 18. It says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now, i got some more to say, but I want you to hear me this rest of this time. That Jesus went to hell and got the keys of hell and death in the grave for us. But Friday was just his physical suffering. But those three days, he suffered spirit and soul for us in hell. Tormented. Humiliated. Took our guilt and our shame and our condemnation and the price that we deserved in hell. So we don't got to go there. So we don't have to pay that. And after three days, enough was enough. You know, on Saturday, it was kind of like, you know, when you swipe your uh, debit card and you don't know how much money's in there and it says pending. It's kind of like what Saturday was. It was like, is it going to go through? Is it not going to go through? Am I going to get arrested? Am I going to get to buy this? It was pending on Saturday. But on Sunday morning, the card went through. (laughs) The card went through. And it said, paid in full, you got more than enough in your account. For not just you, but for everyone from all times, past, present, and future, it's paid in full, and the card worked. And what happened is that the Bible says that in hell the spirit of God went into hell and brought alive Jesus in hell. Now you think you've had some rough circumstances. No. Jesus was born again in hell and his spirit and his soul came alive again. And when he was awakened and became alive in hell by the Spirit of God. And it says in your Bible, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Not just Him. But it's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in hell. And when he did, he got his strength back, he got his energy back, he got his life back, and he took the keys of hell, death, and the grave from the devil that he no longer has control over you. He no longer has authority over you. He no longer has dominion over you unless you give it to him. He has the keys of hell, death, and the grave. And then he went all the way back up into his body, and his body came alive, and an angel rolled away the stone, and he walked out as a human being alive forevermore, spirit, soul, and body. He's not hurting anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's not suffering anymore. He is a risen king and savior seated at the right hand of God, most high, forever ruling and reigning, and we get to reign with him. but Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the ground, not just spiritually or mentally, but physically. That body came out of that grave. I'm going to give you two things before we go today. You're saying, Pastor, you already gave me a lot more than two. (laughs) I'm going to end with two. How does resurrection change things for you today? How does this resurrection power change things for you today? First thing is, the resurrection changes things for you because it gives you hope. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice we've been brought into this family of God by the resurrection through a living hope. Our hope is not dead. He's alive. It's a living hope. Every other world religious leader is dead today. No hope. But Jesus is alive forevermore. And we have a Savior who, it says, through his resurrection, we have a living hope. How does the resurrection change everything for you? It gives you hope. It gives you hope, first of all, for your past. The resurrection gives you hope for your past. That what you did in your past doesn't have to define your future. That your past cannot hold you back any longer. That your sins, your guilt, your shame, you have hope to get not just over them, but get through them and to get them redeemed and forgiven and forgotten because of the resurrection of Jesus. Through the resurrection, we have hope for our present. That things do not have to remain as they are. That no matter the doctor's report, No matter the circumstances, no matter the trials and the hardships, I can still have good in my future because of the resurrection of Jesus. And if He did not resurrect, I can't expect anything good in my future. But because He did, I can have hope for the present. And I can have hope for my future knowing that the future is bright in Him, not in myself. Because of the resurrection. That the future is bright. That even one day when I die or He comes to get me, I'm going to be forever in His presence. I have hope for the future. Because of His presence. The resurrection changes everything because it shows us that nothing is ever really lost. No situation is ever too far gone. That the resurrection shows us that no matter how dark it gets or how hopeless it gets that God can still resurrect things. That God can still do the impossible. Do we still believe that as believers? It's true whether you feel like it this morning or not. Nothing is ever lost in Him. Nothing is ever too far gone in him. Nothing is impossible with him. Because of the resurrection. We have hope. You say well pastor. What about things in my life that are already dead. He can resurrect them. What about people that have even. Went on to be with the Lord. They're not lost either. Because of the resurrection we know. That death isn't Final. You're going to see everyone you loved again. That death didn't win. That death doesn't have the final say. Because one day, it says the same resurrecting power that got Jesus from the grave is going to resurrect every body of every believer that has went on before us. And one day, their body will come out of the grave too. That's in your Bible too. How can that happen? It's supernatural. I don't know. How did it happen for Jesus? So even people that have went on before us, death isn't final for them. It's not final for us either. Death doesn't win in the end. That's why the Bible could say, death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? Because it doesn't win in the end. Jesus does, but he only does because of the resurrection. I've done preach myself happy in this Pentecostal Methodist church this morning. It's true. Nothing is ever really over in Jesus. Nothing is ever really lost in Jesus. Now, if you don't know him, I don't got any hope for you this morning. Because everything is lost for you unless you make that decision. But in Jesus, for those of us who believe in his resurrecting power, nothing is ever lost. Nothing is ever too far gone. We can have hope for our past, present, and our future. The other thing I want to share with you as I close is, because of the resurrection, it changes everything. We have meaning in life. I want to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians fifteen, fourteen through 19 The Apostle Paul talks about this. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Verse 19. And if our hope is in Christ only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The Apostle Paul breaks this down and he says, all of our faith hinges on Jesus getting out of the grave. And if he did not get out of the grave, this is the words he uses that are preaching is useless. Another word for useless is meaningless. It's all in vain. It says that our faith, if He did not rise from the dead, is useless. It's all in vain. If He did not rise from the dead, we are all liars. If He did not rise from the dead, we're all still lost. If he did not rise from the dead, we are to be most pitied and felt sorry for because we have all this faith in God in just this life, but it's not true. Well, come on, Apostle Paul, tell us what you really think about it. (laughs) But you need to understand that. Your life has meaning because of the resurrection. But if the resurrection isn't true, then your life does not have meaning. It's all in vain. Preaching in vain. Your faith in vain. Your Bible a liar. Your life a lie. Your whole existence is worthless and meaningless if the resurrection isn't true. That's what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Apart from God, Everything is vain. Your job, in vain. Your money, in vain. Sex life, in vain. Your kids, in vain. The food you eat, in vain. Everything is meaningless apart from God. Because if you came from nowhere, and your life means nothing, and you're going to nowhere, then do what you want. It's all pointless and meaningless and in vain. And we wonder why we have the mental health issues we have today when our culture has said, you come from nothing, your life is for nothing, and you're going to nothing. People live like nothing. No purpose, no meaning, no anything. But that's not true. The truth is God made you. You came from somewhere and you came from God. And this life matters because of the resurrection. And your eternity matters because of the resurrection. So now because of the resurrection, everything in your life has meaning, has purpose, has significance because the resurrection is true. And if it's not true, your life is all meaningless. It's useless. But if it is true, everything matters. The good news is it is true. The resurrection is true, and it does matter. All of our investments in this life are not empty. We will see them one day in eternity. Your life matters today. I want to talk to some people in here that have been discouraged and depressed and even suicidal, especially in this past year with COVID and the pandemic and everything else. No, your life matters today. It has purpose today. It has meaning today because of Jesus' resurrection. He did that for you. Your life matters today. And the resurrection makes my everyday matter now. Because every part of my life now has eternal significance. Because the resurrection is true, everything in my life matters now. Because the resurrection is true, everything in my life has eternal significance. That means me waking up to work every day has eternity attached to it. There's a reason I'm there. I'm not just there to get a paycheck. I'm not just there to go through the motions. I'm not just there to have a job. No, everything matters because the resurrection is true. And my workday has meaning. And And when I drive my car, it has meaning because the resurrection is true. And when I eat a good meal with my family, it matters because the resurrection is true. And when I go to the gym, it matters because the resurrection is true. And when I live my life or how I spend my money or the way I am with my friends, it all matters Because the resurrection is true. And now every part of my life has eternal significance to it. Now there's nothing wasted. There's nothing in vain in my life. There's nothing meaningless because the resurrection is true. So I want to tell everyone in here, your life has meaning because the resurrection is true. Your life can have hope because the resurrection is true. And you have a purpose on your life because of the resurrection of Jesus. Not just in church moments. In every moment. It all matters because it has eternal significance. I'm going to close. I want to pray with you today. But I was thinking about this song from the Gaithers that many of you know of, but it sums it up great what I talked about when it says the resurrection changes everything in our life. It gives us hope and it gives us meaning. I just want to read real quickly just the chorus of it. It says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know the future because he lives, life is worth living because he lives. Because Jesus lives, we can have hope. We can have meaning. And this life is worth living because the resurrection changes everything. Did you guys get something today? Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Father, we just thank you today for your presence in this place. And I would just want to have the opportunity to pray with you today. As we close, I know I went a little bit long today. I was excited to preach to you. Let's pray the salvation prayer today. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior or maybe even rededicate your life to God, this is the first step into his family to receive the power of the resurrection into you. Let's just pray this together if you mean it this morning. Father, I thank you for sending your son. I receive him As my Lord and as my Savior, I believe you died for me and were buried and you were raised to life. I receive you to cover all my sins and to make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for you as we go this morning. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful group of people today that came to church on a Sunday. We thank you for this resurrection day. I pray, Father God, the words that were spoken today would impact them deeply in their heart and in their mind and even in their body. That the power of the resurrection is wanting to work in their life. Father, we thank you because it is true. Our life has hope and it has meaning because of what you've done done for us. I pray that we would leave with a greater sense of purpose for our future for what you want to do in it for for what you've done in our life even starting today. And Father, we love you. We thank you for this great day. We thank you for even later today. Like we said, nothing's without significance. The time we spend with other people this afternoon and tonight, let it be a supernatural time. Let there be eternal significance attached to it. And Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the power of God that raised you from the dead, that we can receive you today and you're alive forevermore. We thank you for today. We're a thankful people and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.